Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. Uh, I'm Hithliday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, its website. Uh, we are back in action uh, with uh, this week's guest, Lerms Matt Court, one of the great writers at ATQ. How you doing? I'm well, yourself? Uh, not bad. I am uh, tanned, rested, ready to go. Uh, talk about some <laughs> duck sports. It seems great. like the softball team uh, uh, took a vacation with me. Um, but are uh, uh, back in action now. They swept the Beavs. Uh, always happy to come back uh, to something like that. What did you see out of this series? Yeah, it was, it was really awesome. Uh, to, to use a sports cliche, they righted the ship uh, a little bit in the weekend sweep of the Beavers. And the, th- the, the thing that I think was best about it from Oregon's perspective is they seem to kind of get their act together a little bit on the pitching side of the park for them, where they've struggled uh, in recent games prior to this weekend in having a pitcher go in and have a solid game or have a solid four or five innings and then be able to be relieved with another solid couple of innings to, to help them win a game. So you had, had tremendous uh, efforts um, by the pitching staff in, in this particular weekend against Oregon State. Stevie Hansen started the first game pitched a one-hit ball over five innings, uh, and Oregon got out to a lead. Valerie Wong had a couple of home runs and three RBIs in that game. Tara McGowan uh, had the other two RBIs, so they ended up winning 5 nothing. Um, that one was rained out. Um, uh, it, yeah, that's right. They only went five because the weather turned uh, really bad and was bad for a while. I mean, I don't think they could have ever gotten those innings in at least that day. Well, it seems because, like an appropriate for the, you know, Oregon, Oregon State game. Um, absolutely. I mean, it, it doesn't rain on that podcast, but apparently it rains in Jane Sanders uh, Stadium. Yeah, um, the, the Jane doesn't have a, does not have a cover or anything. So, yeah. Maybe they, we should and, podcast and, from the stadium and then. During the games. And, yeah. then, and then that way they'll never be rained out. But Well, it seems yeah, like maybe they, when, you know, maybe a little assistance to the pitching staff, you know, they got out of there two innings early. Yeah, um, exactly. Never had to go to relief. Uh, the, which is, you know, that's always good. And then the Saturday and Sunday games looked, you know, fairly similar to me. Uh, yeah. What did you take away from those games? Let, let's set aside Clothermis because I, I want to talk about her separately. But like the rest of the performances, would you say the Saturday and Sunday games were, were pretty similar or any real difference? Yeah, I thought so. I mean, the, the, the scores were both pretty similar. Um, you had uh, Oregon winning on Saturday 4-3 and then uh, winning on Sunday 4-2. So both very competitive, 
close games. You had good, um, good timely hitting. Ariel Carlson had a home run in the second game. Um, Hanson came on and basically shut down the Beavers late um, to back up Cleet Thermes, as you mentioned. Uh, on Sunday, you had sort of the opposite happen where Hanson uh, started the game and gave up some hits and a couple of runs. But Cleithermes came on and, you know, did very well, uh, giving up no runs over the last uh, 4.2 innings of that game. So really good pitching in general, holding Oregon State to, you know, five runs basically over the three games, which, um, you know, if Oregon's bats get rolling, as they frequently do, then they're going to be able to overcome only giving up two or three runs in a game. Um, I. You know, it was nice to see on the offense, you know, there's a mix to like, it's not, there's some home runs, which are fun yes. to see. In fact, in, in the second, in the third game on the Sunday game, like, boy, that was a, a, a thriller. She just, you know, clobbered that one to, to, to the graveyard. Like, but, uh, you know, the, the, but there's also like a lot of, you know, it, it's the reason why I think softball is a fun uh, sport to watch is because there's, um, there's so much small ball involved. Like there's so much right. like clever base running and like, yes. you know, manipulation and manufacturing uh, runs. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I think, you know, honestly of all the things that this team, you know, is good at, I, I think, you know, honestly, I think one of the big reasons why they just simply had an advantage over Oregon State that they didn't have over the the three previous Pac-12 series that they played in which they won one game in nine contests um, is that, it was fairly clear they had an athletic advantage over Oregon mm-hmm. state that, that the ducks mm-hmm. were simply, you know, better athletes. Um, yes. and, and the, you know, the, those little plays when it comes to small ball, you know, base running and fielding that like Oregon was turning, you know, could turn a double play and Oregon state couldn't, or, right. you know, Oregon could get away with that steal and the Oregon state runner wasn't going to be able to do it. Or Oregon could right. pick off that, you know, that, the, that, that, base runner trying to pull pull off a steal like i was seeing that repeatedly like Mm -hmm. these are just small moments you know but they add up and it's just like there's a decided athletic advantage and when i was watching oregon play definitely ucla definitely washington to an extent um uh arizona state and arizona although i think less so um but definitely ucla and washington i was like this is you know there's the the athletic superiority advantage is neutralized that those right. athletes are sort of equivalent and and it's just going to come down to you know a, a a slug match in which you know which team has better batting and which team has better pitching and the answer to both of those questions was not Oregon um the other guys yeah yeah um, I, I still find myself, I, I said this on last week's podcast, but, uh, Adam was on then I'll ask you the same question. Like I felt a lot more disturbed about the Arizona state and the Arizona, um, uh, series in which they went, you know, one for six, I think, uh, because like, I don't perceive them to have to be in the hole athletically, uh, against those teams. Like, I feel like they should have just been better and they weren't. And I, right. I worry a bit about, um, you know, did they let UCLA beat them twice? You know, uh, you mm-hmm. know, were they psychologically, mm-hmm. you know, up for those games? Um, and I worry a little bit about, you know, this is year four for, for Melissa Lombardi. Um, you know, I understand there was sort of a pit to dig out of because of the way that, uh, you know, the previous uh, coach left the program. Um, but that like by year four, 
should have been out of that hole by now. And now we're just sort of seeing what this, you know, the ducks really are under her. And that was a bunch of sweeps, um, including to, to teams they should have been more competitive against, in my opinion. What's what's been your take of those uh, series? And, and do you think I'm off base in uh, in describing them that way? You know, I, I don't. Um, I would. The only thing I would say is that I think we have to to give a little bit of latitude uh, given the COVID situation and the sort of disruption that that's caused to schedules, to practices, to everything you can imagine having to do with any sports, not unique, certainly not unique to softball. We've seen it a lot in the football program as well. And so I, I'm, I'm willing to cut Coach Lombardi a little bit of slack on that as far as developing the program farther along than she has so far. Uh, Oregon obviously uh, had a blow at the beginning of the season, losing their top pitcher for the season. Um, and so Hanson, I think it's fair to say, has had to take on a role on the team that was not really envisioned for her before the season. She was going to get some work, but she wasn't going to be like the go-to starter for Oregon for softball. So she's been sort of thrust in there and has, frankly, done a fantastic job. I mean, admittedly, she's not perfect in every game, who is. But she's done, I think, a gigantic... Well, she's so young. I think you're yeah. right. Well, like she she's was... a freshman. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you're just... you, And and so, and so and you go from her, tra- her travel ball team to, uh, you know, the best softball conference or certainly one of the top two or three softball conferences in the country for college ball and you're facing all these fantastic uh, hitters every game. You don't, it's not like you get a break somewhere where you don't have really good hitters you have to face. So, you know, I think there's a couple of things like that. It's the pitching has really been problematic and the, the ability to deliver that key hit at a key moment. They've had several games and especially I think in the two series that you mentioned uh, against the Arizona schools where, a couple of key hits could have broken open a couple of those games and given the team some confidence to go ahead and win those games. And that just never happened. They just were never able to generate that key hit and they gave up too many runs. So, you know, that, that I think is, uh, is what's gone on this season. And I'm, you know, feel really good. Actually, I, I felt better early in the season. It's interesting that, uh, we were discussing the small ball capabilities and the run manufacturing capabilities of this team when you may recall one of our conversations early in the season was, boy, are these guys ever going to hit a home run? Yeah, <laughs> Basically, right. it's like they have no they have no ability, apparently, to, to play long ball with anybody. It's all going to be this small ball manufacturing runs. So now they're they're, you know, in this series, certainly against Oregon State, they had a pretty good mix, I think, of. Um, you know, being able to play the smaller ball game, but also timely big hits when they need them. Uh, do you think Clithermus's uh, renaissance in this series is for real, or is that, you know, just facing a team that couldn't hit her and she's going to go right back to having those inconsistency issues that she's had, it seems like, all season long against Stanford? You know, it's hard to say for sure, obviously, but she seemed to find something. Some some of it is obviously the opposition you're facing. Uh, Oregon State is not the team that UCLA is, or not the team that you know, the, the, whoever. I mean, pick another Pac-12 school uh, has a, 
a better lineup of hitters perhaps than Oregon State has. Um, but it should this this performance this last weekend should give her a lot of confidence going into when, whatever she does. If it's a start the next time or it's a, a coming on in relief in the next game that she pitches in, uh, she should have some confidence that okay, I can't, I, you know, I can do this. I did it, and hopefully she feels like it's a renaissance for her because that's the important thing. Well, I, you know, you can't, you know, like you said. It, you know, you can't go all seven innings. You know, you need good relief, and you know Stevie Hansen can't do it all. Like Oregon's got to have at least two, hopefully three. You know, and and Dale's a question, you know, a separate question. But like, you know, with Inez, as you mentioned, you know, they they lost uh, uh, Inez at the beginning of the season, which is really you know tragic, and I think sort of colors the rest of this. Um, you know, I think you're right about you know cutting Lombardi some slack between you know COVID and Inez. Uh, you know, because, it's you know, it's been clear to me, you know, we've gone back and forth on the question of the offense. I think the offense is fine. I think the fielding is fine. I don't see stupid errors, you know, like it really just comes down to like Stevie Hansen can't carry this team on her own. Right. There, there needs to be, you know, a second and probably a third pitcher. And, you know, I, I, they've got one series left. They got three games versus Stanford. And then we go right to the, um, to, 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 you know, the, the, the women college women's college world series, you know, playoff the regionals and the super regionals. It's not like the, the baseball side where this goes through to the end of May playing Pac-12 games. Right. Um, you know, this is it. You know, they, they got three games against Stanford coming up this weekend. Uh, Stanford is right. Uh, the one spot ahead of them in the standings. They're number four in the Pac-12. Oregon's number five. Um, that can, you know, flip if Oregon uh, wins the series. Um, what do you think? Uh, you think it's going to happen? Uh, I, you know, I feel good about the team going into this series, and they, and they should be. I've, I haven't completed my analysis yet that I'm going to publish up on Thursday, but I, I think they're they are evenly matched enough. I don't see Stanford as being a, a gigantic hill for Oregon to climb coming up. Uh, you know, the, obviously the concern is that they're on the road. Uh, which is, you know, you obviously always prefer to play all your games at home, but they're on the road against Stanford. There's there's a lot on the line, I think. I mean, I think a, a strong finish here will really help Oregon as far as placement um, for a regional. And I, and you want, want to win everything. And, and there's no reason to believe that uh, Oregon will be outmatched by the Cardinal this weekend. So hopefully they'll be able to come in and have the same consistency, at least of pitching, excellence that we saw against Oregon State because that's keeping just keeping them in the game not not letting anybody blast out to four or five runs in an inning on them uh, is a key for this team to help them develop that confidence to go ahead and and, uh, get the bats rolling and win. All right, we'll look forward to your uh, preview of the Diamond Ducks opponents uh, coming up on Thursday at Addicted to Quack. Um, uh, we'll take a look at uh, Stanford. It's the last series that Oregon softball plays it's on the road. All three games are going to be televised on the uh, Pac-12 networks, um, after which uh, softball takes a break uh, for a week before they uh, find out where they're selected uh, to, to play in the regionals, which almost certainly will happen, right? Uh, we're going to take a break, so. too. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about baseball. All right. The baseball team uh, also uh, won their series uh, this weekend. Um, they uh, they 
uh, had it secured going into the third game, but could not secure the sweep uh, against Cal. Um, uh, a lot the in the first two games, we definitely saw this. You know what we have come to expect out of you know most of the time when the the Ducks are playing, which is explosive bats. You know they put up seven runs and then eight runs on Friday and Saturday. They put up eight runs too uh, on Sunday, but uh, the 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 Bears sort of came out of nowhere in the eighth inning, put up a five run inning um, that that pulled them ahead. Um, Oregon had then a three run uh, bottom of the ninth to uh, to get it close, but they could not seal the deal. Um, and, and drop the, uh, the the final game in the series. Um, what did you see out of the Ducks uh, against Cal this weekend? Well, I thought the first two games were more like games that we saw earlier in the season where Oregon was getting off at the plate and the pitching staff was doing a good job of holding down the number of runs that they were giving up. Uh, you had a, a tremendous start for R.J. Gordon in this game, who went uh, five and uh, two-thirds innings and only gave up two hits and two runs over that period. Uh, But then you had tremendous relief pitching in the first game where uh, you had four relievers come on and pitch shutout ball for the rest of the game. So Cal was never in it. Oregon, um, you know, really showed good uh, work at the plate and awesome, awesome pitching, obviously, there uh, from R.J. Gordon. And then the four, they used five pitchers. So they used four relief pitchers in that game uh, after R.J. pitched the first five and two thirds. Um, the second game was a very similar. Again, um, Oregon, in this case, struck for five, uh, five early uh runs in the first inning and then picked up two more in the seventh, uh, won the game 8-3. Isaac Aon had a good start. He had six strong innings, only gave up six hits and three runs uh, and got the win in that game. And again, the relievers gave up nothing in that game, no runs at all for Cal against Oregon's relievers. And the, the third game was unfortunate because uh, that, you know, that five-run eighth is what won the game basically for Cal, uh, although they did also score a run in the top of the ninth, which turned out to be the winning run. Um, Colby Summers had a very unusually poor outing uh, in relief in this game. He gave up, um, you know, three hits and two walks and five runs um, in just one inning. Uh, and that was the difference. And Oregon obviously made a great uh, comeback effort in the bottom of the ninth, scored three runs but could not uh, plate that last run, and their last out came with runners on second, third, and two outs. So they were right there. They needed one hit, basically. Any kind of a single to the outfield was probably going to win the game uh, and just could not deliver it there at the end. But, um, you know, very, very good series for Oregon. Those first two games were if you can talk about vintage for one baseball season, they were sort of Mm. vintage for the kinds of things that the ducks did earlier in the season with lots of offense and, um, and, and good defense and, and really good pitching in, in those first two games. Uh, And especially the the relievers until the Sunday game did a tremendous job uh, of shutting down the Cal bats. You worried about summers or the, you know, pitching staff decisions uh, at all that give you pause in that Sunday game? Well, it always seems like, um, usually what it seems like is they wait too long to bring in uh, somebody in relief, either of the starter or, you know, they, they wait until a lot of damage has been done to bring somebody on in relief. Um, and that's not, they, they could have pulled Summers earlier than they did, 
Um, cause he was obviously struggling right from the get go in that, uh, in that eighth inning. Um, so I, I don't, I don't expect him to have him specifically to have lots of half inning, innings like that. Um, and I think that was, that probably also surprised the coaching staff to some degree. Yeah. Thinking, you know, pull him in favor of whom, you know, that, yeah, uh, well, sure. Like I mean, and he's that, yeah. there and correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he always struck me as their, their best reliever. Yes. You know, it's like, right. It's just weird. It's like, you know, it, it just feels like, you know, you wrong step. You know, it's like one of those things where you're expecting another step on the staircase mm-hmm. and you just put your foot down right. wrong. It's like, what yeah. the, you know, thing, it's you know, like you're on your face or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's very uncharacteristic for him. Um, you know, I guess we just got to cross our fingers that it's like, well, that was just one weird, you know, one weird inning. Um, and it does happen. That does happen. I don't, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a, you don't want it to happen, but it's not like, oh my God, this is the end of his career in college or something. Um, but but the you know, other thing is, you're right. I mean, Caleb Sloan came on uh, in relief of Summers for the for the final inning and gave up three hits uh, and the game winning run yeah. for Cal. So it's uh, what turned out to be the game winning run. Um, so yeah, who who are you going to send in instead? Uh, in you know, if if Summers doesn't have it that day you know, you go to somebody that's not, that's not the best reliever basically is what you have to do. And, and you're taking your chances there. The thing that I'm impressed by, this is going to sound like I'm throwing shade at Lombardi by comparison. I'm really not intending to, it's just impossible to ignore the fact that like, you know, Waz's team, like this team doesn't give up. Like, you know, like it Mm -hmm. doesn't like, you know, they, they took a couple on the chin, you know, they took a, a you know, they should have just sat on Cal instead, you know, Cal explodes for a five run inning, puts him, you know, up by, you know, up by three, Oregon comes back in the bottom of the ninth and hits three, you know, like they, yeah. you know, they, they, you know, I, they, they earlier in the week, we're going to, we're about to talk about Oregon state. Oregon is playing a sort of bizarre five game series uh, against Oregon state, including two different Tuesday games. Um, Mm -hmm. They, they had dropped, you know, after a sort of disappointing drop of the series to Washington state uh, at the end of April or at the the weekend before the end of April, uh, you know, where they were, you know, hitting the ball, you know, very effectively, right. Eight runs, eight runs, seven runs. Um, but you know, have to go into the, the extra innings twice, you know, and, and Wazoo sort of snuck it out. I don't really think the Wazoo is a fantastic team. They just couldn't control their bats. Uh, you know, and then they lose to Oregon state. Uh, you know, they, they, they could have been, slumping in this game and instead you know in in this series against cal and instead they weren't you know they came right out and you know hit like they always do uh uh you know i'm sort of you know i this team's got multiple tools both in the bullpen and at the plate uh and you know i like the fight in in this team Mm -hmm. it's sort of psychological explanation that i hate doing when other people do it in football uh but i'll engage in a little bit of you know in baseball it is a long season uh you can't get discouraged and you definitely can't get discouraged when you're playing the bees who are maybe the best team in the country which is what they're going to be doing this week um we're recording this on monday night on tuesday at 6 p.m they're going to be playing their uh second of five games against oregon state uh what did you see the last time they played and you think the ducks got any shot against this one yeah i really do they uh you know the first game was a close game and it, that that was one of those games you know your point i think is is right on the money i watching these games i never feel like oregon's actually out of a game 
like there's they have no chance of coming back. They've repeatedly scored lots of runs late in games. And we, we've talked about this before, about how important it was in some of these series to be able to get into the bullpen against some of these opponents that they're playing because their hitters are so good that if if you're not bringing your number one or number two or number three guy, uh, Oregon is going to have some success and you, you better be ready for that. So, um, I you know, I thought the first game against Oregon State, the, the Ducks were in it. It was a close game. Um, and, and I think they have a good chance of, and again, this is another thing which is kind of interesting to me. They seem to be reasonably evenly matched against Oregon. I don't see this as a, you know, going in here and boy, it's going to take, you know, everything they've got to win any of these games. That's, I don't see it that way at all. I see uh, at that first place, I think that first game rather bared that out is that these two teams are pretty close and Oregon can, you know, needs to be able to generate more offense. They didn't didn't have much offense in the first matchup last Tuesday. But if they can generate a little bit more offense, their pitching is good enough to hold Oregon State to relatively low runs. And I, I believe they can win any of these four games yet to be played. I think Oregon can win. Well, I, you know, the the thing that's, you know, obvious about Beavs is just their, you know, the defense is excellent, right? Like mm-hmm. they're, you know, it's excellent. But, you know, Oregon got two runs against them last time. They only gave up four. You're right. It was a close game. Um, you know, uh, Oregon's pitching, you know, is containing the Beavs. I don't think the Beavs are like a, you know, the, the most, you know, knock your socks off batting team in the world. They, mm-hmm. they just have an excellent pitching staff. They held Oregon to two runs. I think this is the first time they scored fewer than five uh since playing UCLA or no, there was that weird ball state game. Um, right. But like, you know, one of the very, very few teams that kept Oregon to scoring fewer than five runs over the course of this uh, season. Um, you know, it's just, I, I, in my opinion, you know, the ducks bats means that they're never out of a game. If they get something going. Uh, I think they have the ability, you know, if they can, you know, handle Oregon State's pitching. I think they have the ability to simply outscore Oregon State. Um, like, I, you know, if this, you know, if there were no defense, right, if they were both going up against Jugs machines, mm-hmm. you'd take Oregon all day, wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. No, there's no question about it. They're, they have much more, many more live bats uh, on Oregon's roster than Oregon State does. The, the good thing about Oregon State's team is they're simply not going to beat themselves. If you're going to sit around and wait for them to make some kind of a critical error or walk somebody in with the bases loaded or something like that, that's not going to happen. So don't don't wait around for it. You have to get in there and beat them because they will not beat themselves. The Tuesday game is the uh, the second of two uh, that will be played in Eugene, uh, but then the weekend series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, will be uh, in Corvallis. Uh, not that far of a trip, but, uh, you know, slightly more hostile. Um, the 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 sort of the good news is even though they're going out with, you know, what will almost certainly be the best team that they'll play all year long, um, that uh, that doesn't, you know, end the 
the season for them at all. You know, unlike right. softball, uh, you know, they they you know, after this, they play a couple of um, midweekers against uh, UC San Diego. Then they have a series against Arizona State. Then they've got a midweeker against Gonzaga again. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a series against uh, Arizona. And then at the end of May, you know, they have this, you know, the long Pac-12, uh, you know, baseball tournament before they, you know, uh, go to the College World Series, you know, knock on wood. Uh, so like if you know let's hope this doesn't happen but if they get you know throttled by the beeves first of all i don't think there's a huge amount of dishonor in that it's like the one sport that they're good at uh and and (laughs) second of all like they've got a long time to recover and to climb back into the rankings and to you know play themselves into a good um world series spot right absolutely no there's no yeah and that's what's so weird about looking at the schedule going forward the softball season basically over after the weekend except for regional action and super regional action uh the baseball season spools out for almost another full month yeah uh, from from here um and so you know they've got six more conference games um after this weekend so nine total uh conference games yet to be played and and then they still have the pac-12 tournament and then they've got the tournament as well which and i don't i don't know if we know yet how tournament is going to impact the regional placements for you know like it does in in basketball if you win your conference tournament you're in the ncaa's regardless of if you're the worst team in your conference for the regular season so it's going to be interesting to see if they do the same kind of thing uh not not predicting that oregon's going to win the pac-12 conference tournament or anything but it's going to be interesting to see how that might impact where people end up in the regionals yeah, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I mean, Oregon is neither the worst team in the conference that has to go on a tournament run, you know, right. the way that one of Dana Altman's teams might have in the in the past, uh, nor are they likely to win the Pac-12 tournament because they share a conference and a state with, you know, one of the absolute best teams in college baseball. Um, right. You know, I, I it looks to me like just another opportunity to, you know, to, 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 put, you know, put some good performances in front of the selection, uh, mm-hmm. process. And, and, uh, and then this weekend's games against Oregon state are sort of, you know, if they play well in the tournament, they'll see Oregon state again, you know, maybe they'll learn something right. about how the beefs play. And it's also like assuming that they make it to the, you know, college world series, Oregon state is the type of team that they will, you know, like UCLA beforehand, um, which mm-hmm. is a team that swept them. Um, although the ducks kept it, you know, within one run every game, uh, you know, it's an opportunity to see the type of team that they will see um in in world series action and measure themselves against it you know it's a, yeah. it's a good test absolutely no I, i'm looking forward to the rest of the baseball season and this tournament which is this the first year they've held a, a baseball yeah. uh championship tournament so i'm looking forward to seeing how uh, you know how the team can continue to progress and how and how the coaching staff uses uh, that extra opportunity to help prepare them for the other part of postseason play. All right, let's take a break there. Uh, we come back, we'll talk uh, about some of the rest of uh, Oregon spring sports, uh, including uh, uh, some football stuff and the always thrilling mailbag. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Uh, uh, one of the cool things that uh, happened while I was away was the Oregon's women's golf team won the Pac-12 championships. Uh, um, they uh, have a little bit of time off, but otherwise uh, it seems like they, uh, I believe they're going to be the number one seed in the Albuquerque regional. That's um, correct. Uh, what are you looking forward to uh, for women's golf? Well, I think they've got a great chance uh, of advancing out of the regional, frankly, and, you know, looking at the the other schools that are there, obviously you've got a a home squad from uh, New Mexico that's there. Um, And, but, but the top four teams from each of the regionals go on to the NCAA championship tournament. So I think Oregon has, uh, you know, obviously an excellent chance of being at least one of those teams, uh, if not the, the winner of their, the Albuquerque regional. Uh, they will probably not get the uh, rain benefit that they did uh, for the Pac-12 tournament uh, that happened in Yeah, <laughs> that, that sort of felt a little bit like divine intervention. Um, you know, a water coming down on Eugene and the Ducks pull it out, huh? Um, yeah, what a what a shocker. Uh, on the men's side, uh, they they did respectably. The the men's team has been so up and down, um, you know, uh, this season. But uh, I believe would they come in third, fourth, fourth. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had uh, they had a they had a great um, you know, they had a, a little bit of a rough start uh, to the tournament, but then they really came on, especially the second day uh, and moved up quite a bit the second day. Um, and, you know, other teams sort of fell apart as the tournament went on and, and Oregon just kind of hung in there and, and finished fourth, which, you know, for them, given the way the season's been, as you said, a little up and down uh, is a good finish for them. Um, beach volleyball also had the, uh, PAC 12 championships, uh, last week. It looked like, uh, you know, Oregon wound up, uh, exiting, um, pretty early, uh, in, in the tournament that, you know, they lost to USC, they lost to Cal, both of those are excellent, um, teams. In fact, I believe sure. USC yep. just won the national championship, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, yeah. And, it, and they, you know, they avenged, a, they won their first match. They avenged a, a conference loss earlier in the year to Utah. Um, and they set a team record for wins in a season at 14. They also uh, beat Arizona State, who was ranked at the time. It's the first time the Oregon's beach volleyball team has ever beaten a ranked team before. So it was, a, it, you know, as seasons go, and not, un, not, it, was, it was successful, if not ideal. Uh, the acrobatics and tumbling team um, were competing in the, the NCATA uh, National Championship uh, in Eugene uh, last Thursday. Uh, they lost to Quinnipiac. Um, it was uh, it, probably not the best season that acrobatics and tumbling has had uh, at uh, in, in the history of, uh, of that uh, sports existence at Oregon. But, uh, you know, it was uh, nonetheless like I I I you know, was trying to find highlights of this stuff on, on, on YouTube. It was, uh, it was kind of frustrating because you couldn't find this stuff on, on Pac-12 networks, you know, most of the time mm-hmm. they only televised, I think half of their competitions, um, which beats me why it's like, it, you ever watch acrobatics and tumbling? It's fun as hell. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. The, the control given, you know, you're, it's one of these things where you almost have to be out of control to score well, but they managed to control what they're doing in such a way to, you know, they make, they make it look really easy, yeah. if you will. And then football played the spring game. Uh, we talked about it last week um, with Adam, but I wanted to get your impressions. Uh, uh, see anything interesting? 
you know, um, I, I, it didn't surprise me, I guess, that that Knicks seemed to have a pretty good game. Um, he, you know, not perfect, um, but he, I think, in my view, put himself out there as the leader in the clubhouse going into ball ball, and uh, as far as the QB start goes, so um, that that's good. I mean, he came in, you know, he's got sort of a uh, up and down reputation, if you will. But, you know, he seemed to, to fit in pretty well with the team and he seemed to understand the offense pretty well, although it was obviously very uh, collapsed offense. They weren't running sure. all the stuff, anywhere near all the stuff they're going to run. But, you know, he had good zip on, on a lot of his passes and I thought looked pretty good. I was uh, uh, I, I basically think this the same thing is the case. Um, you know, the, the the offense was probably a stripped down version of what you're probably going to see. Although I expect it's going to be a relatively simple one. That um, I uh, it, it did remind me a lot of what I I know of Mike Norvell's offense. So like that was one question answered that I sort of had. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what Kenny Dillingham is going to run um, the. There is still an open question to me on the defense because there were so many defensive linemen who were uh, being held out for the spring game, like four of them. Um, Plus, they were splitting the teams in half. So, you know, we saw a lot of walk-ons playing the defensive line. Um, The the sort of open question for me is, you know, with the mint front defense and the tight front defense it sort of grew out of, um, it's always three down. And uh, and then you have an outside linebacker. This was looking more like what Oregon and some of the Cal teams that the defensive line coach Tony Tuyati was coaching um, has been doing uh, in recent years where it's ostensibly a three down front. But then they play most of their snaps two down um, yeah. with a couple of outside linebackers. And, and yet here the interesting thing was that I was still seeing mint philosophy in terms of like the spill and kill you know outside run containment um in fact it was interesting to watch as the offense adapted to that with some of the guard pulls um but anyway the uh the you know i still consider it an open question whether or not they are going to use um three down fronts you know a, a three down nickel front um or if they're going to be doing what they did in the spring game and play two down fronts or not, because I, I think with all the defensive linemen who are out like, and having to split the team in half, they, they might not have just had the personnel that they needed in order to do, you know, three down all the time. I, I still don't think that we're going to know the answer to that question um, until, you know, unless somebody is able to sneak into fall practices with a video camera, you know, to show us, you know, we're just not going to have an answer to the question until they play Georgia. You know, it, it's yes. sort of a, you know, well, and there's, there's probably some gamesmanship involved there as well. You don't want to give away too much. Yeah. I imagine. Uh, um, you know, it will be it'll be really interesting to see whether because there's a couple, you know, a couple of guys who are probably going to be added to the defensive line, you know, through the the portal who either weren't, you know, there for spring or, or may yet still be added. There's a um, there's a Nebraska guy whose name is escaping Rogers, um, who, who in addition to the other transfer from Nebraska, uh, Riley, um, 
who wasn't yet on campus for spring. Like there, the the defensive line is going to get a lot more personnel um, added to it by fall camp between guys who get um, healthy and available again, and um, and some additional uh, you know guy, you know freshmen and transfers uh, who will come in for fall. And so it might be an entirely different. Um, it will be an entirely different pool of uh, dudes from which to pull, and it might be an entirely different, you know, defensive um, approach in terms of how many down linemen you were playing on standard downs. And we're probably not going to have an answer, you know, to that one until, you know, they snap number one in Atlanta. Right. Um, so, yeah, like it's, you know, and honestly, it's like to me, like the, the biggest and most interesting question about the big, you know, the most interesting team in the Pac-12, um, uh, <laughs> you know, we're just going to be in suspense for like six months or five months or however many it is. Um, uh, beyond that, like I, I, I sort of, you know, closed the book um, on on uh, on Oregon football uh, for the time being. I've, I started to write about um uh, 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 some of the other teams. I did a couple of interviews um, with Arizona and Arizona State publishers. I, I published my article about Arizona this morning. Um, I think it's an interesting team. I, you know, I think that's a, a team that's probably going to win more than one game next year. Um, I, I, Oregon has to play them in Tucson, so it's always good to like know something about them. Right. Um, the, the the thing that was sort of a, a commonality that connected both Arizona and Arizona State is poor offensive line play. And it was sort of inspiring this thought that I, I wanted to share with the listeners, which is that, you know, Arizona is going to take five years to dig out of this offensive line hole because it always does. Like even with all the news that's swirling about about the transfer portal and NIL and guys being paid to come to programs, uh, maybe, you know, like the, the last place that that's going to happen is the offensive line. Like it just has to grow organically. Um, right. And, and, and you don't, you know, portal your way to do it. And the team that tried to portal their way to it is Arizona State. Now, we, you know, recorded that one on Wednesday. The article is not going to go up until next week. So I'm sort of, you know, speaking ahead here. Um, but like, you know, Arizona State had to take two offensive line transfers last year just to get to five, you know, starting offensive linemen. And right. then in our interview with Hode Rubino, we every guy that we talked about to replace their departures was transfers, you know, like that wasn't a one year little, little, you know, Oh, we're just going to, you know, it's just a bridge. It's just a bridge to get us over to the, to the other side. Like, Nope, they're just, you know, it's accelerating their, their, their hunger for transfer portals. And, and so they're getting guys out of D division two, you know, they're getting unranked guys. Um, it, it just doesn't like you do not portal your way to, you know, offensive line, success in Arizona States, you know, and then after we recorded with Hode, two different offensive linemen um, who we were talking about as potential starters, you know, transfer out uh, of Arizona State. It's like a live by the portal, die by the portal situation. And Mm -hmm. and so, you know, both of those teams, I think, are going to find, you know, hit rough years and have long rebuilds because of offensive line problems. And I was sitting here thinking about Oregon and like, you know, obviously, you know, they took that dip in 2016, right? Um, you know, they go from playing the national championship game in 2014 to four and eight in, in 2016 to winning a Rose bowl in 12 games in 2019. Like why was their dip so short? You know, why was mm-hmm. it, you know, they had winning seasons on others uh, on, on, 
you know, 2015 and 2017 um, on, on either side of that, you know, horrible 2016 season. There's a couple of other teams in this conference that are coming off of their own four and eight seasons, right? Washington and USC. Are they going to jump right out? of them um or are they going to pull an Oregon and or, or you know are they going to pull an Oregon and jump right out of them or are they going to be more like Arizona Arizona State and try to you know uh, claw their way out with transfers and so forth I I think you know the answer I I think that a big reason why Oregon pulled an Oregon and 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 climbed out of the pit real fast was they had offensive line continuity in fact, that was the like the last gift of Mark Helfrich was that offensive line that carried them through the Rose Bowl it was basically those guys came in for yeah. that season. Right. Um, and and that's you... the I, I was just going to say, you know, if you if you look at um, you mentioned USC and Washington, if you compare those two teams and their chance of turning things around fast, USC has always had the talent to do it but they haven't been able to harness the talent in a way to create the great seasons that they think they're entitled to. And so it's going to be interesting to see if the coaching change at USC allows them to build something more quickly than perhaps might happen um, up in Washington, where who knows what we're going to get out of that squad in the next couple of years. Well, I guess my point is, I, I think all of that is true. My point is, if you're looking for a clue, you know, which teams come out of their four and eight season right away and which teams wallow in misery for five years, you could you could do worse as a rule of thumb to figuring out the answer to that question than looking at the offensive line room. Because I think Oregon clawed their way out of their four and eight season fast because they had continuity in their offensive line. I think that Arizona and Arizona State are headed for pits in which they will wallow for a long time because of problems with their offensive line. And when I look at Washington, when I look at USC, we're getting way ahead of ourselves in our preview series. They, they usually do those guys towards the end. Um, I don't like Washington's offensive line. And I really don't like USC's offensive line. In fact, all the moves that USC has been making, it's like they're building a seven on 17, you know, like the one thing that they're not, you know, really doing anything to improve is their offensive line. Their offensive line has just been killing them for the last couple of years. And like they could kind of sort of get away with it when they were running an air raid type of offense, you know, where they were a not running the ball and B getting the ball out of the quarterback's hand, like instantly. I can tell you, I did a bunch of study on Lincoln Riley's, um, you know, uh, offense at Oklahoma. Cause you know, I previewed the Alamo bowl and like, Oh man, that is an offensive line dependent philosophy. They're running like power RPOs. They are, you know, holding the ball for a while. Uh, in fact, my big, you know, criticism of Caleb Williams is they hold the ball too long. And like, you know, you can get away with that at Oklahoma. In fact, I, I sort of think that like the reason why Riley sort of invented that scheme and differentiated himself from his old coach, Mike Leach, was that he knew he was at Oklahoma and he had good, you know, access to offensive line talent. And it was like, what if I could run the air raid, but with a real offensive line instead of like the kludge together stuff that we can, that, that Mike Leach had to get it, you know, in Lubbock and in Pullman. And then he goes to USC. I, I think he's got to assume that he'd have access to good offensive line talent. And I think he was probably surprised when he showed up and saw just how bad it was. Like their offensive line situation in Los Angeles is terrible. And 
and so this has been, you know, this, this great spiraling thought that I've taken like five minutes of all, everybody's time in order to communicate is that like, I'm not going to bet on Washington and USC having quick recoveries the way that Oregon did for the same reason that I'm not going to bet on Arizona and Arizona state, you know, climbing out of their problems because the, you know, the one advantage that Oregon has had for 20 years over the rest of the the then Pac-10 and now Pac-12 is, you know, very good offensive line play. And everybody ought to, you know, uh, say a little prayer to to Steve Greatwood because, um, you know, he was at Oregon for, for what, like 16 years, um, 17, something like that. Like, yeah, Steve Greatwood is the reason why Oregon, you know, they missed like two bowl games in, in 20 years. Um, I think the last one that they had missed was in 96 and, and they were eligible. They just, you know, there weren't enough bulls back then. Like it's the offensive line, offensive line continuity. Like, you know, thank your lucky stars that Oregon has offensive line continuity. And it, uh, you know, and, and if anyone's worried about the 2022 season, that's the other thing I can happily, or is worried about Adrian Clem, a guy that I wrote an article about while I was on vacation and was like, mm, not real wild, but the offensive lines that were, well, that were playing while they were at UCLA, they all go on to be in the NFL, which is crazy. But like, you know, uh, at the very least in 2022 offensive line continuity, you, you know, they're going to buy him some time um, with all those returning starters. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's the secret weapon in Oregon's back pocket, you know, offensive line continuity. You got to love it. All right, let's get to the mailbag. Uh, you ready, Slurms? Oh, sure. Uh, always <laughs> thrilling. What kind of uh, all right. Uh, first question. Shamayam wants to know if this is the month of May. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, that was easy. Um, let's see. Uh, Legal Duck. Uh, we keep having big recruiting weekends. Where are all the commitments? Like, Jury and Dickey just committed like uh, an hour before we started recording. I, you know, nice. recruiting's going just fine. Um, they're, they, you know, usually this is what happens. They come visit during the spring game. They go home. They think about it for a week or two. And then, you know, they commit over, you know, May and June. I am not, you know, concerned about this staff uh, recruiting in the slightest. Um Let's see. Uh, uh, oh, people are panicking about this. Uh, that uh, how unusual for Ducks fans. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, uh, maybe they should have intimate instead of big recruiting weekends. They should have intimate artisanal recruiting weekends. That's an interesting concept. Um, I, I think that you know more likely is they should just get out the bag. Uh, it seems to be the way things are going. Uh, let's see. Uh, what what you have, you have any thoughts about recruiting? Uh, you know, I agree. I think it's going fine. I don't, I don't expect to bring in a half a dozen high profile kids and have them all sign that day or the next or the next week. I mean, they all, every one of them is going through a process and they probably already know the day that they're going to announce their commitment before they ever come to Oregon, whether or not it's Oregon or somebody else. So you just have to wait for them to, to come to the conclusion that they're going to come to. Yeah, they gotta they gotta set up the thing with the local news at the high school sure. gym, and they got absolutely the, the stupid card table and all the hats, and they gotta <laughs> play with it. I do not understand. Like, I, I spoiler alert: I was not a uh, highly recruited football uh, star in high school, and uh, so I never got to go through this. But why those kids think that's a good idea uh, is beyond me. Uh, but yeah, they, they you know that takes some time to set up, man. Like, absolutely, you, know, you can't just. I mean, you could. I guess you could set it up before you come on your visit to Oregon for the following Monday or Tuesday or whatever the, the schedule might be, but that's not the way it works. So no need to panic about it. 
Uh, let's see. I that's yeah, right. It it never doesn't panic on this uh, website. Um, <laughs> the other subtitle for this podcast. Uh, K Dean seventy five uh, says uh, the Minnesota running back uh, seems like a great get. Uh, that's uh, Marquise Irving. Uh, is the duck running room? Uh, I agree. I uh, I quit. I haven't watched this film or anything, but I I did a breakdown of his numbers and um. The reason that I do that is sometimes his his yard per carry average was over five, which is a good number, just like yes. Noah Whittington's yard per carry uh, average was also about five. Um, actually, Noah Whittington's was above six. But when I broke out his numbers, I found that that was inflated by one super long, like 86 yard run. And when mm-hmm. you pull that out, it drops down to like. 5.5 which is still an excellent yeah. number but like it, it you find them every once in a while running backs who are like um god there was somebody in the pack 12 just the other day that i was thinking about i'm sorry i've forgotten but they exist um where they have a really high yards per carry number but then when you break it out you find that like oh no they just hit two like full field runs where they got behind the defense and ran for 99 yards right. um and that you know when you break it out you find like oh uh, it, it turns out that they, you know, like, you know, 50% of their runs, they get stuffed behind the line of scrimmage, but then they hit this one explosive one. And, you know, I, I will happily report about both Irving at Minnesota and Whittington at Western Kentucky that those things were not the case. They were, they had a very nice, solid bell curve in which, you know, they were hitting five to nine yard runs all the time, which is what you want to see at a running back. So, uh, yes, he does seem like a great get. Uh, the second part of Kadeen's question is, uh, is the duck running back room that bad that he seems like a guaranteed starter? Uh, boy, I don't think that's the case. Um, I, uh, I, I still, th- you know, uh, Cardwell, um, uh, 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 didn't play in the spring game. They were just holding him out precautionarily. Um, you know, obviously, you know, dollars and Whittington are already there. Uh, they have, you know, two walk-ons, Aaron Smith and, uh, Hassan Ritter, the transfer from Hawaii, um, who's like a three-star, but he's, you know, choosing to walk on at Oregon. Um, you know, uh, Irving would have to blow all four of those guys out of the water to be the guaranteed starter. And like, I, no way, man. Um, like I, I think that guy's depth, you know, like, you know, he, he will up the running back scholarship count to five. If you include the true freshman, uh, Janes, um, I expect that what they want to do is red shirt James and are like, well, we need four scholarship guys. Let's go get somebody who's available. Uh, Irving was a four star at a high school. He had a productive, you know, career in Minnesota last year. Um, what happened in Minnesota? I had to do film study on Minnesota because they were the first game that Ohio state played. That was the week before oh. Oregon played them mm-hmm. and their great running back. Mo Ibrahim um, played well in that Ohio state game, but then he was injured. Um, and so then they went to, Minnesota went to like a three-man rotation um and uh he was one of those three dudes um but you know from from what I can tell and again I'm just looking at the stats like he was probably in line to be um you know I I I don't know like I don't know if they would have repeated you know that or not but like Ibrahim was probably coming back and so like it was probably going to go back to like, this dude is the stud and you're going to be the backup. And he's like, well, if I'm going to be the backup, I want to get, you know, uh, it might be an indication that Oregon is planning on doing a running back by committee um, thing rather than naming like, you know, a, a number one back. That's about the farthest into the tea leaves that I can read onto that one. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to ask you about whether you thought that 
the developing offense under the new coaching regime was going to be more of a running back by committee or more of a we've got a main guy and he's going to get most of the work. Well, the issue is maybe a while know, before we know. The, the issue is I don't know who calls that shot because yeah. because if it's Lachlan who calls that shot, I can report that when he was at Western Kentucky, the history there is that Western Kentucky has had the same head coach for the last several years, but he, that head coach cleared out the offensive coaching staff um, for 2021. Um, he just didn't like what was happening in 2020 and and I believe the year before. Um, and he brought in, it was interesting, um, one of the guys off of the Texas Tech tree and they ran a you know, pretty air-raidy offense. They threw the ball twice as often as they ran it. And the other guy that they brought in was Carlos Lachlan, the running backs coach in 2021. And the running back room that uh, Lachlan inherited was, you know, kind of a mess. I think I mentioned, it might have been to you um, on this podcast that like, you know, they had, they had two different defensive players who were moonlighting in the running back room. So Lachlan <laughs> sort of like hits the reset button and he gets four running backs, um, basically two of which were brand new, you know, had not carried the ball before. And two of them, you know, had only gotten a few carries in the, under the previous regime. And he's like, you know, he kicks the defensive players out of the room. Uh, he kicks the underperforming guys out of the room. I don't know if he actually kicks them out or not. I'm, I can just tell you, you know, who was playing and who wasn't. Um, and then he goes to a four-man rotation. And it's a fairly even four-man rotation. Um, Whittington was the number one, you know, ball carrier, but it wasn't by much. You know, he was like getting, mm-hmm. you know, like 35% of the carries and everybody else was like 27 apiece, you know, something like that. Um so like, I think, you know, he's probably an advocate for let's spread the wealth around. Um, but I can tell you from watching the Memphis and Florida state film where Dillingham was at, although under Norvell and Norvell was probably calling the shots more, um, was they really wanted to have a single back, you know, they really, especially in 2018 at Memphis, they were really riding that back. He was maybe the best back in the country. And, and although that might've been a product of them just, you know, sticking with that one dude on like every down. In fact, they were extensively using the wildcat in 2018. We we're just like, what? we don't even need a quarterback. Let's just give it to this dude. He's so good. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I don't know who gets to make the final call on that question. Um, um, it seems like there's two different, you know, voices, uh, you know, in the room. I, at the very least, I think that Oregon will have lots and lots of scholarship death at running back and that there is no concern. I don't, I honestly don't really care about how any of these questions are answered. I just want someone who is good at carrying the football to be carrying the football and Oregon has lots of those options. They will not run out even if there's an injury or two. So I'm happy. <laughs> sort of uh, my take. Sounds good. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, in reply, in reply to that, a legal duck says, I-, I would like to see us using spots for the cornerback and offensive line. Um, I agree about cornerback um, that they could probably use uh, an addition or two through the transfer portal or some allegations that Oregon is, is uh, maybe trying to swipe one um, offensive line. I, I went on a long rant about how that doesn't work. Uh, you know, I think that um, they they will probably not take someone through the, the through the portal. Um, I would actually be really surprised if they did that because I think the staff is smarter than that. That, that offensive line transfers are rarely productive, um, and will you know save their spots for some of these other you know positions. Cornerback, you know, good good point. That's one of them. Um, 
and uh, 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 and you know they're just going to need to to recruit real hard in the the twenty twenty three class. You know they need to they really need to refill this tank because uh, they've had a number of transfers out. Uh, let's see, uh, Stanford winds up with fourteen tight ends. Uh, obviously mathematically impossible uh let's see uh anatra despinari uh wants to know where do i get off and what gives me the right um an alpha judicious quack i wants to know how dare you i i'm the managing editor that that's how i dare <laughs> exactly it's got to mean something like who, who's gonna gain me, buddy um Let's see. Oh, and there's noting that uh, the the Dickie went with uh, Oregon. Way to go! I, I I like getting you know four star wide receivers. Uh, uh, who can complain about that? Um, th- that's it for the mailbag. Anything else you want to uh, add, Slurms? I would just add the the one uh, sport we didn't get to uh, earlier was the women's tennis team, oh. which got its first regional invite since 2018 uh, this week. So cool. they're they get to travel to Austin. Texas and they face uh, Michigan on Friday. Oh, is that going to be televised? I don't think it, it I is. I don't know yet. I, did, I, haven't, I didn't see whether there was a schedule for it, but we may not know yet until um, closer to the match. Boy, you know, everybody makes fun of the Pac-12 network, uh, you know, because they're airing sports that nobody wants to watch, but I want to watch them. Yes. And and then when they don't, I'm like really disappointed. Like I, you know, poor Pac-12 Network, they can't win. Like they, they can't satisfy me by uh, by airing everything that I want. And uh, they can't. Oh, look. Ooh. According to the GoDux website, it will be watchable on TexasSports.com. Oh, good. We will. All right. I'm going to try. I'm going to make. I'm noting this down. I'm going to make a special effort for the quack fix on Friday to get that link included so that people can watch the women's tennis team take on Michigan in Austin, Texas. That sentence totally makes sense. Uh, Good deal. Thank you for bringing that up. You bet. All right. Anything else? That's all I got. All right. Uh, It's going to do it for us this week. Uh, Thanks, everybody. Uh, We'll catch you next time.